for just a minute, we'll review and, and look back uh, from the beginning of Romans to where we're at now. Um, the first three chapters dealing with the condition of man in his natural state. As man is born, he is... And you know, all going back to the garden and the fall of Adam, the corruption of Adam and Eve and their seed after them, all that they produce is therefore corrupt. And from birth, the desire of man is rebellion and sin against God. And you know, you'll face an argument here, well, doesn't man have free will? And certainly we have free will in the sense that we can choose what we want. But you know, the, the free will of man is corrupted and is inclined towards evil from a small child, a child that doesn't understand good and evil. They still are inclined to go against what they're told. You know why that is? That inclination is from the garden. And all that man can produce is more sinners. And that's the condition we see man in in Romans 1 through 3. But the Lord, you know that song, God's message to man, the Lord Jesus came for the purpose of redeeming that race of Adam. And it's through the righteousness of Jesus and that being imputed unto us that we can be acceptable unto God. God brought His Son into this world in a flesh he lived perfectly, and that perfect life is imputed unto us. Gave his life as a sacrifice that our debt could be paid. Our, our, and you know that there's something worth looking at there as well. That the Lord Jesus, he, he had to die that our debt could be paid. So that outside of Jesus, that means I have to die. And not to the grave, but die in spiritual death and torment in, the Bible says, hell, the lake of fire. And so God has sent His Son that man could draw near to Him and be accepted in His righteousness. And this righteousness, it's not of works. In chapter 4 and 5, He looks at Abraham, He looks at the works of man. It's not by something that I do that I earn this. And that's what religion, religion everywhere, whether it be under the name of Christianity or all over our world, religion is about doing something, earning something. Man is going to work his way to God and we're going to better ourselves and become more acceptable unto God. Well, this, this way of salvation, it excludes works and it excludes what I do. It's based only upon the merit of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if man is going to come and be acceptable unto God, it's only through Jesus that he can come and be acceptable. There is no other way to come to God. God provided this way for me to approach him and how presumptuous that it would be of me to say I'm going to approach God some other way. That's not going to work. God gave His Son that we could approach and be acceptable. So it's not of works. It's by imputation and it's by grace and it's by faith. And God has brought this faith unto man 
as we saw last time in the last of 10 and the beginning of 11, God chose to bring this imputation, this grace, this faith to man through the preaching of the Word of God. God says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach except he be sent? You see, every part of this chain is ordered by God. God calls the men that He desires to preach. God equips them to do that work. God uses them to preach that Word. And God, through their words and through their preaching, the Holy Spirit works on the other end, calling and convicting and drawing sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the only way we could read the law, Anthony, and weep. Because as as I read the law in my natural self, I think, well, I'm doing pretty good. And that's the way all of man is. That's the way fallen man thinks. We can read the law of God that we, we know we've broken and we know we've transgressed, but fallen man says, well, I'm better than the one beside me and the one that I live next to. I've done better than they have. But you know, the Spirit comes... And when He comes, He convinces me of what I've done and of how guilty that I am. And that illumination is the only way that man will ever see his sin. And this salvation, once it comes, God produces a new creature that through the indwelling of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, there's a new life brought forth out of that old man out of that old woman, God produces a new creature with a new desire, a new want, a new heart, a new mind, and a new manner and behavior in this life. And so we've come to 9, 10, and 11, and we've got this now. I realize we're so far separated from the time that this was written down, but here were the Jewish people, the people of Israel, that grew up with... The law. They were raised up in that. They had the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood that God ordained. They had all the sacrifices. And it was in their country that they had the temple. And they had, really, they had the choice of God. God gifted them all of these things. And God is fulfilling the prophets and He's fulfilling the law in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has brought this salvation right in the midst of them. It was there in Jerusalem that the Lord hung on the cross. And yet here's the gospel of this salvation, this gospel, this message of God unto man that God's provided a sacrifice. God's made a way for me to come to Him. God sent His Son for my sins and the majority of Israel has rejected it. Now how could that be? So remembering, it's not of works. It's not what I've done. It's not by what I'm able to do. It's not by my intelligence or what I know that I'm saved. If it was of any of those things, then you can rest assured that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, those Jews that had dedicated their life to studying that Old Testament and that had uh, labored hard to keep the law to the best of their ability, 
Those people would have been the first ones to be saved. And yet, you know what we find? Those people were the greatest enemies of this. And they were the ones that tried Jesus. And they were the ones that set away with Him. And here's ignorant fishermen that were unlearned. They were unschooled. They didn't know how to talk right. They didn't use proper uh, uh, speaking when they were talking. They didn't know big words. They were ignorant and unlearned. And they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you explain that? You'd say, well, the gospel failed in its, in its job. And that's what a lot of people think today. While they may not say that, they think that because we preach and nobody comes, nobody responds, and well, the gospel didn't do what it needed to today. But here in 9 and in 10 and in 11, we see the gospel's doing exactly what God intended for the gospel to do. The only ones that are going to be enlightened are those that God chooses to enlighten. The only ones that will be able to see are the ones that God allows to see. And nobody else can. And remember, we said this when we were in Romans chapter 9 where he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, which is a quote from the Old Testament. And often what man does is say, well, how? How could God hate Esau? But that's with a twisted thinking there. The truth is we know why God hated Esau. Esau was rebellious. Esau hated God's word. Esau did not want to obey. Esau rebelled against the order that God had set up. Esau rejected God in every way, and therefore he was rejected. But was Jacob not the same way? Was Jacob not rebellious towards God? Was Jacob not sinful? Did Jacob not reject the order of God to try to steal his brother's birthright? Did Jacob not reject the blessing of God when Jacob stole the blessing of Esau from his father? See, the, the, the thing that ought to amaze us there is how could God love Jacob? That ought to be the question that's asked there. How could God show this love? And that's what we ought to ask ourselves today. How could God love us? It's a love that's beyond our understanding. And glory to God that He has illuminated and drawn us unto His Son, Jesus Christ. And this drawing and this illumination is through the gospel. And we looked in Romans 1, in 1 Corinthians 1. This, according to Scripture, let's just turn to 1 Corinthians 1. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so God chose that those that would be saved, they would receive this salvation through the preaching of the gospel. So that completely negates the argument of, well, we can serve God without preaching 
We don't necessarily need preaching anymore. We just need to come and worship and feel good. Well, friends, God chose the method of preaching to save them that He would call. God chose to call them that were lost by the preaching of the gospel. So you cut preaching out, you're cutting God's call out, and the means of God to draw them that are lost to His Son Jesus. I believe that God foreordained. I believe God predestinated. I believe it's all a work of God. I believe to the bottom of my shoes that it is a complete work of God to save man. And just as much as I believe that, I believe God does His work through the preaching of the gospel, through men that He calls, and through men that He equips. And so we preach, and God's working. As I preach the Word of God, as the Word, let's just say it like this, as the Word of God is preached, the Holy Ghost is accomplishing His purpose. Whether in chapter 11... Verse number 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And we've got in those next three verses quotes from the Old Testament. So what's going on? The gospel is being preached, and the Holy Spirit's working on the other end. And in some, hearts are being hardened, and they are rejecting the Word of God. And in others... Hearts are being softened and they're being drawn to God. None of that's my work. I'm completely hands off of that. I've got one duty. To study and make sure, be sure that what I say is in order and in line with the Scripture. God's working in the crowd. Some He's hardening. Some He's drawing. Paul said this. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul recognized what was going on as he preached at the synagogue and as he went to churches and to houses and as he stood in public places. There's a few coming to believe and there's a multitude rejecting. And Paul says, I'm not sufficient to determine that. That's God determining that. Paul's just preaching the gospel. And yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. That's what Paul said of his office. And so God has, through the gospel, called those that he desired unto Christ Jesus. And the gospel is to be preached without fail. And so let's look now in verse number 11. This is where we left off last time. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? So now he's speaking about the Jews. Here's you've got this big problem staring in the face of the natural man. Here you've got all of these Jews that were raised up on the Word of God that are now rejecting the Word of God. How could that be? Well, he's answered that. God has called some and he's blinded the rest. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's exactly what went on in Elijah's day. As he points out here earlier in this chapter... That in Elijah's day, Elijah said, I'm the only one left that's serving you and that cares about your word. And God said, Elijah, I've reserved 7,000. 
Why was all of Israel not bowing down to Baal? Because God had reserved a number unto Himself. And if God did not reserve a number, all would be lost. We'd be like Sodom. The fire of God would devour all of mankind. So God's reserved a number. So now we're dealing with this in the rest of this chapter. We know that God's not failed in His mission. The gospel is not failing in doing its work. But the purpose of God is being accomplished whether of life unto life or of death unto death through the Word of God. But now just as the Jew in Jesus' day and before then, they looked at the Gentile and they thought that they were high class and those sinful Gentiles were nothing. But you see, it wasn't that the Jew was any better as a man or as a woman than the Gentile was. It was that God had chosen to show them kindness and mercy that God did not choose to show to the Gentile. It was God that made the difference and it was not that they were better. Well now, can you see now here in the New Testament how easy it would be for these saved Gentiles to then turn and look at the Jew and say, well, you knew all of this and you rejected him. We're better than you are. So he's going to work to correct that. That thinking, you're not better than anybody. You're not more righteous. You're not more noble. You've got no cause to look down your nose at a Jew, at a Gentile, at a sinful, wicked person because the only difference between you and them is that God has shown you mercy. So what do we say? We say, thank God for the mercy that you've shown us because we were the same. He don't want them to look down their nose at the Jew because they've rejected. Because man always rejects, doesn't he? Man always rejects. And the only acceptance of the gospel of truth is through the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God. And except God illuminate, they can't respond. Do you believe that? No man can come unto me except my Father which hath sent me draws him. And no man can come unto the Father but by me. How are we going to come to God? Through Jesus. And we come to Jesus through being drawn. Now if you take the drawing out, we're not coming to God nor coming to Jesus. So see, this ain't some wild, crazy doctrine. This is taught all through the Word of God. This is the way that it is. And so the Jew that didn't come, it's not because they're way dumber or more evil than we are. And the sinner today that rejects, whether they're in the church or they're outside, they're not rejecting because they're more ignorant than we are and we're a step ahead of them. They reject because that's the fallen state of man. And if God didn't illuminate you, you would have rejected it too. And you did. 
You rejected it all the days of your life until God illuminated you to the truth. So don't think you're better than anybody. Don't ever think that. When you think, when you start to think that way, realize that that's the natural man. That's not what God says. We're no better nor above anybody. Have they stumbled that they should fall? So did God just trip them up so they would fall and He could laugh at them? That's the question. God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So the Jew fell in unbelief. He did. He, they rejected the Lord Jesus as a nation, as a whole. They rejected the work of God in Jesus. But that was by, you see this here? That was by the design of God. And they rejected so that the gospel would go out to the Gentiles as well. God's going to open this New Testament kingdom up under the whole world. In the Old Testament, you see some... Uh, uh, trying to think of a word to use there. But you see a few instances of Gentiles being brought in. Ruth, you see her and, and Rahab out of Jericho. You see some instances of Gentiles being brought in and made a part of the family. And not just of the family, but these Gentiles were brought in and, and God inserted them in to the very lineage of the Lord Jesus. But those, that didn't widely occur in the Old Testament. It was closed off to the world in the Old Testament. And only the Jew could come to God by God's choice. God chose to allow them to come to Him. And so in the New Testament, God's not just going to open the door for an instance or two, but this gospel of Jesus is not only going to be preached at Jerusalem, and it's not only going to be preached in the synagogue, but it's going to be preached unto all of man. But you notice in the book of Acts, as you follow the Spirit working through these apostles, that they always preach to the Jew first. And as Paul spoke in Romans chapter 1, this gospel, this power of God unto salvation was to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. They had first dibs, if you'll have it. Not that if they accepted, the Gentiles were going to be shut out. Because God's working now to open the door to all of mankind. And so that every tongue, every nation, every race, every tribe, people of every background, and out of every natural religion... They can now come to God through Jesus by the preaching of this gospel. And gospel now, that word is the good message. It is the good message of the work that the Lord Jesus has done to accomplish this salvation for man. So God didn't trip them up that they had fall on their face and He'd laugh at them. But God's designing a plan that through their fall, the gospel's then going to the Gentiles and all are coming. The Jew can still come. Paul's a Jew. He's believed. And all of the apostles were Jews. 
And they've believed. The Jew can still believe, but now the door's open to the Gentile as well. For to provoke them to jealousy. To stir up a rivalry in them. So this is God's mind, that as the Jew sees these Gentiles come to Christ and be filled with the power of the Spirit of God, that in their hearts they would say, you know, they're getting a a great blessing from God. I'd like to have a portion of what they have. Now, is that not what the church is today? That as we've come to God and we've received of the Holy Spirit and we have been made new creatures, that as we go out into the world, our lives would be such to provoke the world to jealousy that they might know and have and experience the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. See, this was the order and the plan of God. The Gentiles are going to be saved and the Jews are going to be provoked to rivalry. Not that they're fighting each other, but it's you see one receive the joy and the peace and the hope of God in the Spirit and salvation. And somebody says, you know what? I'd like to have what they've got. I'd like to have, I'd not steal what they've got, that's covetousness. But I'd like to, I'd like to share in the favor of God that they are sharing in. And certainly in the riches of the Lord Jesus, there's plenty for all that would come. So that God established this for to provoke them to jealousy. So God didn't do this and save Gentiles to shut them out. So Romans, don't you gather at the church and shut and lock the door to any Jew that comes. The door's still open to them. God saved you to provoke them that you all might be drawn to Jesus and that everybody could be saved under the Word of God. So that as we gather, we're not locking the doors, shutting out Gentiles, nor religious people. But the doors of the church are open unto the whole world. Why? Because the door of salvation is open unto the whole world. And man in his self-righteous thinking says, well, you're going to let a lot of stuff in that ought not be in. Well, I tell you this, when I was a sinner, I, I didn't have any right to be amongst the people of God. But thank God the door wouldn't shut because by coming in this door then God could draw me to Jesus and make me part of the church. That's the way God works today. Through the church, the doors are open. Nobody's shut out. We've got no part in that. If God blinds and if God hardens, then God's doing that. But we have no choice in the matter. The gospel's open unto all. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So here's a good question. If the Jews disbelief and fall, that's side slip, lapse, or deviation, if their missing has resulted in the Gentiles being blessed with the gospel. Now you think about the picture we've got in Genesis. 
that Joseph's brothers, they sold him into slavery. And he's carried down to Egypt and Joseph's thrown in prison. But in, in, in a day or two, he's brought to the seat of the kingdom of Egypt. And he's laying up all this corn. And through him, God preserves the life of the whole world. And so Joseph, when he's speaking with his brethren, he says, you meant, you meant this for evil. You meant to harm me. You wanted me to go down to Egypt and really, you wanted me to be killed. They wanted to kill him, but they, didn't, they were afraid of doing it. So they said, well look, let's just sell him and get rid of him. You meant this out of the, the pure wickedness of your heart. But God took your evil and He's worked this good out of it. The Jews, when they said away with Him, crucify Him, they meant that was evil. They meant that for evil. But God has wrought salvation out of the evil of man through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so their fall, their rejection... I mean, you, you set back just a little bit and you look at these people that God blessed with the oracles of God, with the priesthood, with the prophets, with Moses and the law, with an exodus, with these feasts and with these sacrifices. God's given them all this and here they are rejecting God's salvation. And you'd stand back. Now think about it. You're standing back looking at what's going on here and you're saying, my God... God's made a flop here. That all these people that He spent all this effort on have rejected. But through that rejection, God brought in a world of Gentiles. And if through their rejection, God can work good, what could God work through them coming to life in Jesus Christ? Would it not be just as well? Listen to the next Verse, I'm sorry, verse 12. If the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, so their fall, their stumble, their rejection of Jesus Christ resulted in the goodness of God in Jesus being offered unto the Gentiles and unto the world. Now if God took their evil and made it such good and God does that all of the time. How much more their fullness. Now this is an interesting word here. And we need to know this word. This word's coming back towards the end of this chapter in a very misunderstood scripture and a verse that's, that's far blown out of the way. But this word fullness, it means repletion or completion. That is, what feels as contents or what is filled as container. So this container is full of water. This word completion could mean the water that fills that container or it could mean that container that is filled with water. And so we see this word in Galatians. I think one of the easiest places to understand this in Galatians chapter 4. 
You see Paul speaking of the Lord Jesus coming. And he says, when the fullness of time was come. Now what is the fullness of time? I've thought about that a lot through the years and never really, never really understood. And maybe I still don't. But this is what I see. That from before the foundation of the world, God said, my son's coming on this day. On this day, he's going to be born in the city of Bethlehem and he's going to come into the world. On this day, my son's going to give his life. It was foreordained of God. And so he creates the world and sets time in order. And day by day, we're drawing a day closer to the day the Lord Jesus is coming. And when the fullness of that time came, when the appointed day that God established was fulfilled, that day was now at hand, the Lord Jesus was born into the world. And so here, how much more their fullness? Is He saying that they're all going to be brought in? I believe what you see here is as the time is being filled, that the Lord is going to fill them then with that Spirit of God. In the latter part of this chapter, we're going to go ahead and turn there for this reason. Verse 25, and this is part of that Scripture that's misused in our day. But blindness is in part, this is the last part of verse 25, Romans 11, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So is he saying there that the Gentiles, all of the Gentiles, are going to be saved? That's foolish thinking, wouldn't you say? So what is he saying with the fullness of the Gentiles. i tell you what we're looking at. We're looking at the election of God. God chose this day, my son's coming, when that time was filled. God's chosen to save and deliver these, and when that's filled. So here, we're filling, and what's being filled is the Jew. If their rejection of Jesus is riches to the world, then what would their fullness, their feeling with the Holy Spirit of God, what would that be? But life from the dead. So in verse 13, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. So how was Paul made then the apostle of the Gentiles? In Galatians, you can look in Acts and it amazes me how it, it, it all comes together. Acts of, and all of these writings, we see them give the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas and send them out into the world. We see the apostles do that in the book of Acts. So what were they doing? In Galatians chapter 2, verse number 7, But contrawise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. So Paul is saying here that just as God called Peter 
to be an apostle, and God gave Peter the ministry to preach to the Jews down at Jerusalem. God chose that Peter would be the apostle to preach the gospel in Jerusalem to those of the circumcision, the Jew. And just as God chose Peter for that job, Paul says, God's chose me to be the preacher of the gospel unto a Gentile world. This office was not something that Paul chose to do. But this was God's choice for Paul. And he that worketh, they saw the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. Who committed the gospel to the uncircumcised Gentiles to Paul? It was the Lord that gave him that office. Who committed the gospel of the circumcision to Peter? It was the Lord. So the Lord made these and gave them these offices. God still works that way today. But now back, let's get the thought of the Scripture again. That I speak to you Gentiles as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. God's given me the office to be the preacher, the apostle, that's going out not to Jewish sinners, but I'm going out into the world and preaching this gospel of Jesus unto the world of the Gentiles, and I magnify. So he exalts his office. He exalts the fact that God is using him to bring in the Gentiles. And a lot of times... A lot of times this stuff is twisted up in minds and in hearts and things are, things are taken out of context. And it's sad. But that's the way man is. Peter said these things hard to be understood. They which are unstable, they rest the Scriptures to their own destruction. That's what man does with the simple Word of God. Paul was preaching to the Gentiles. He had a ministry to preach to the Gentiles, and he exalted his office for this purpose. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. So Paul's desire now, though God has ordained him to go and preach to Gentiles, and God did ordain, and it was so clear now, that the apostles came together and they all laid hands on Paul. They said, we are convinced that God has called this man to go to the Gentile world and preach. They laid their hands on him and they sent him out. They ordained him for this. And remember what ordination was? It's not that I'm adding anything to you, but I'm laying on my hands agreeing that God has called this man unto this office. So the apostles laid their hands on Paul and said, this man has been given by God the office of apostleship to the Gentiles. And though Paul had received this, Paul didn't shut the door to the Jew. But notice Paul's desire is that all would come to salvation. Paul says, I magnify mine office. I exalt the fact that I preach to the Gentiles with this desire that the Jew would be provoked to come to Christ and be saved. Now I believe this, 
that whoever is up, whether it's in opening, in teaching, or in preaching of the Word of God, I believe the desire of those men, if they're God's men, is that all would be saved. We're not looking to shut the door on anybody. But the Word of God is represented in a means that the call goes to all and the Spirit works on the other end. Now that does not mean that everybody's going to be saved. And a lot of times, a lot of times we get our hope in that and when that doesn't happen, we get discouraged in the fact that it's just not happening. I've got the God's truth in the service of the Lord Jesus. I've got nothing to be discouraged about because I can lay my head down and know that God's in control of these things. He's working it as He sees fit. And so God here, He's exalting His office to the extent and for the purpose that others might come to the gospel. And that ought to be our desire. That the door be opened and that all might have opportunity to hear the gospel and to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Provoke to emulation. That's the same word as in verse 11. Provoke to jealousy. It's inciting them to rivalry. If the Gentiles are getting this blessing of God, I'd like to have my portion of that blessing. Provoke them to emulation. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now if their rejection brought good, then would their salvation not also bring about good? How could somebody in a church look at somebody else and say, well, if, if they got saved, it would be bad for the church. Think about how foolish that that sounds. But now, that's what they were saying here. They didn't want Jews to be a part. They were better than the Jews. And they, they were stupid. And they were ignorant. And they had rejected the Lord Jesus. And they had had Him to be crucified. But was that not the foreordained plan of God for that to happen? Why did they do that? They couldn't help but do that. Remember how you were before you were saved? You couldn't help but do wrong. That's what we desired to do. That's what we wanted. We wanted to do wrong. So if their rejection then brought great blessing to me, would their salvation not be a greater blessing to me? I believe you could look at Paul the Apostle and his life and you could see that being the case. That here was a man that was the, I believe, the persecutor of the church out of the Jewish religion. And I, I would say, if they think like me, and if I was back in that day, I'd pray, God, get that man out of our way. And you know what I'd be praying? If he's going to do the church like this, just kill him and don't let him go on. Would it not have been a blessing for God to have just killed him? The persecution would have ceased from his part, wouldn't it? 
But look at what a greater blessing God wrought by saving the man. And the greatest enemy of the church by the New Testament becomes the greatest friend of the church. So if the Jew rejected, if that was wrought to the good of the world, then would them not being saved work to the good and even betterment of the world? Absolutely it would. So when we come, it doesn't matter who that it is, we desire that they'd be saved because we know that their salvation would work to the betterment of everybody. But they hate me and they've done me evil. Paul hated the church and Paul done evil to them. But my God, when God wrought a change in his life, what a friend and defender of the church that Paul was. And Paul wasn't just a defender down at the elementary school, but Paul went to Caesar's house and he preached the gospel there. And as he writes, I believe it's at the end of this letter. I don't know. We're, I'm not going to look for it. But at the end of one of his letters, he says, They which are of the faith in Caesar's house salute thee. His gospel had reached the house of not the President of the United States, but he had got to the emperor of the known world at that time, and there were people in the emperor's house that were saved and believed the gospel. And he appeared before Nero, the emperor, and gave a defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, we seek the salvation of all, no matter who that they are, because when they are indeed saved, it'll be to the blessing and betterment of everybody. He says to the Romans, don't shut the door on the Jew, because though they've rejected, they've done it because that's their nature. And if God would save them, would it not be an even greater blessing to the church? Absolutely. As the salvation of anybody would be a great blessing to the church. We're out of time. Anything you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to add? Maybe you've thought of a scripture? Anything at all on your heart?